Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Knollcast. Uh, Bud won't be one of our uh, longer episodes today, but we do have some good recruiting information to get in. Uh, some physical numbers uh, from players, gains and losses have been posted. Some interesting observations that we can take from those, and then we'll try to uh, get to get to one or two questions. But uh, we will uh, save a lot of the talk of ACC Media Days for the next podcast. Once uh, that's officially concluded, we can have a little bit better idea as to a look back on that, if there is any real uh, substance, uh, substantive conversation to have from something like that, which isn't always a guarantee. But uh, for this podcast, we'll jump right into it. Thank our friends in uh, New Iberia, Louisiana. Uh, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Uh, Louisiana Hot Sauce, the title sponsor of the Nolcast, and uh, a group that we are uh, fortunate to be able to work with and uh, excited to uh, continue to uh, carry on our relationship with them so great sponsor been with us since day one of the Nolcast, and as always want to uh, thank our friends in new iberia indeed man very good hot sauce and a great sponsor of ours uh, in the background we have the british open on ricky fowler somehow as a putt just hanging on the edge and like man you gotta wait for the wind to knock this in it's, it's in northern ireland let's jump this in though because that, that was a surprise that putt did not go in it's, it's a surprise a little bit that Florida State was able to land a Ja'Kai Douglas. Yeah. We'll, kid, uh, kid out of Homa, Louisiana. I was going to say, we'll go from New Iberia straight on over to Homa. And our, our thoughts with the folks in New Iberia, by the way, uh, with, with, with the, uh, the recent flooding down there. So um, definitely keep those guys in your thoughts. Uh, Ja'Kai Douglas, kid, I've actually had a chance to see a, uh, a lot this year. I, I saw him in New Orleans and I saw him in Houston on back-to-back, I think it was back-to-back days back in like April or May uh, time when I, when I was still traveling on the road for the uh, for the tour season. I like this kid a lot. He's a rated four-star receiver, top 200 player nationally. Uh, 247 actually has him in the top 125. Uh, he's a guy who I'm sure Kendall Bryles, the new offensive coordinator, is very familiar with. He's a player with whom I know that receivers coach Ron Dugans had a prior relationship and uh, and, and, and a good one because Miami uh, also liked him. Douglas is a kid, I think, is a a very good player in his own right. And there's sort of a force multiplier here when you put him in Florida State's offense. He's a really good fit for what Florida State wants to do. Size-wise, he's not the biggest guy, right? He's you know 5'9", 187, 190, whatever. Uh, but he really understands how to use space. He's a smart football player, and, and I don't want to just start with, with, with the mental side, but but I have noticed that w- w- when he's running out there, he understands how to set people up. He understands how to eat up space if he needs to, how, how to create space if he needs to. Uh, the top-end speed, I would say, is good, but not like crazy elite, and, and maybe I'm wrong on that. Just you know, It was cold the day that we were testing there in New Orleans uh, with, with Under Armour, so like really cold. I, I tried to go to Walmart and get some gloves. And uh, I mean, you wouldn't expect that really in April, but that, that's what it was. So what I really like, though, is the stop-start ability, okay? And, and there's two parts of that to me. The start ability, which means the acceleration, to be able to go from 0 to 60 or, or 0 to whatever your top is in an efficient manner, but also the stop part. We, we don't talk about that very much. And I'm actually working on a cool project here with some uh, some stuff I can't get into quite yet. It's not really an FSU project. It's a, a bigger thing I'm working on. But that that's an area that athletes do not, like people don't really talk about that, right? But there's two ways to create space. You could run away from somebody 
or you can stop when somebody is running with you. And if you have the ability to decel better than your opponent, you're going to create sort of that negative space, right? And that's something that I've noticed just going back and watching the clips that I took of him. Douglas is a really good stopper, which makes him a nice candidate for, for the slot. To be able to stop quickly creates space, and to be able to start quickly creates space as well. Catches the ball well. This is a guy who I think at run after the catch ability is also nice since he has very good body control. Um, I, I think his rating as a top 200 guy is appropriate. Clearly, he's not going to be like a five-star type because he's, you know, like I said, 5'9", like 190. The, the 190 is, I think, a pretty good 190. He's, he's a fairly thick player. He's not like one of these 5'9", 165 slots. So it's like, oh, man, it's just, just so tiny, which suggests to me he can take a hit and hold on to the football uh, over the middle, a guy who you could pitch it out to on bubble screens. And uh, he really killed it back-to-back weekends. He was the best receiver I saw in New Orleans. Um, and at the time, I thought he was going to Florida. And uh, and then he came, like literally the next day. Yeah, it was the next day. He went on to Houston, and he had a really good day in Houston. He was the second best receiver uh, that, that I saw there, uh, second only to DeMoss, who is kind of like A.J. Green 2.0. Um, and, you know, Kendall Browell used to coach in Houston. So I'm guessing – I don't know this for a fact, but if I was him, I would probably be talking to somebody who was there, you know, and say, hey, what, who'd you like? And uh, this guy's a really nice fit for this offense. Assuming they can hold on to him and he does plan to take visits – I think it's a really good get. He's one of the higher rated players in their class, but I like it's the high rating, it's the talent and the fit for me. Yeah, a lot of good things to be excited about here. Um, A guy who uh, displays a significant amount of skills and and a little bit of a a polished uh, end product to be a high school wide receiver. Also somebody that played a decent amount of quarterback. I think he threw for about a thousand yards last year, so he might be a candidate for a a throwback pass or give you a little bit of options or – versatility in the position uh maybe he could end up uh you know throwing a touchdown for miami and it would actually stand so some things that we could hope for uh but a a nice product i think you bring up a great point about uh the ability to you know kind of de-accelerate uh at the wide receiver position and something a skill set that's not all that valued and is uh incredibly valuable for the position so uh jakai douglas a guy out of louisiana that uh, Florida State can be real excited about and somebody that will continue to cover. And uh, you're right, if they get the uh, letter of intent faxed in, ultimately that is a real big get and somebody that's kind of tailor-made for the offense they want to run. So Um, why not LSU, right? I mean, that's the obvious question. You go into Louisiana, Florida State never does very well in Louisiana with kids LSU actually wants. Does LSU actually want him? I'm I'm not – totally sold that that he is that high on their board and you're like well damn why wouldn't LSU want a kid in their own backyard LSU this year has gone out and they have really killed it in national recruiting and I think part of that is because the last year the class inside the state of Louisiana was not that good so they were able to go outside the state a little bit they had to basically and they formed some relationships in the 2019 class with some 2020 players LSU's receiver class outside the like from outside the state this year, is absolutely sick. And so I think normally Ja'Kai Douglas would, would, would be an LSU Tiger, right? Like I, I, I don't think that they would that they would be able, be able to wait on that. This year, LSU, I mean, just pulling this up, they have Rakeem Jarrett, okay? They have Keishon Boot, and they have Jermaine Burton. 
Those are three players that, like, they have three of the top ten receivers in the nation committed to them right now. Mm-hmm. And and Kayshawn is is similar of a player somewhat to Douglas, so I, I can see not taking both of them. If you're a Florida State fan, it would be a very good thing uh, for you if LSU is able to hold on to Jarrett and Kayshawn and Jermaine Burton and for LSU's new spread offense, and they got a guy from the Saints, so the whole state of Louisiana is like, a, like head over heels about this. Uh, what you don't want to see if you're an LSU fan, I think, is, okay, LSU goes, plays against Texas, their spread offense looks like crap, and then all of a sudden they're a power run team with two tight ends for the rest of the season again. Because then you might have some decommitments from LSU's receiver core from out of state, and you're like, ah, well, might need to, I might need to look back in state a little bit. Oh, who do we have here? Right? It's a good commit to have. Really good. I think the fit is really nice. I think Florida State is a better fit than LSU. I mean, we haven't seen what LSU is going to run yet, so I can't fully judge that, but I've got an idea. Um, I think he fits the Browse scheme well. LSU, go win 10 games and, uh, and, and, and keep those nice out-of-state receiver prospects that you have. Pause real briefly here to thank our friends at uh, For the Table Restaurant Group and Madison Social. Uh, yesterday was our uh, much-beloved Reuben Day, and hopefully in the uh, – Tallahassee local audience was able to take part in such, uh, but something that would appeal to the vast majority of uh, those that listen to us, regardless of uh, where you may be physically located, and particularly if you plan on attending the Boise State game, is the uh, is the massive tailgate extravaganza that uh, will be a small part of, and uh, look forward to joining Matt and his team. Uh, website is FSU Jacks tailgate.com two different levels of tickets there a $20 ticket a $25 ticket uh, that includes uh, a meal as well fantastic people for us to be able to work with and fantastic people for you guys to be able to put your uh, faith and confidence in uh, to be able to throw a a professional tailgate. I can't stress uh, how frequent or excuse me, how fortunate we are uh, to be able to work with Matt and their guys. This is their, this is what they do for a living. Uh, And I I look forward to spending the game with them or spending the pregame with them and uh, just all sorts of things that they're working on. But uh, uh, a large what 27,000 square feet of uh, air conditioning excellence when it comes to a uh, tailgate situation and uh, something bud that I know you and I are excited to take part in actual toilets as well not porta potties when you're tailgating all day that's a nice thing to have uh, we'll move to an in-state prospect for Florida State uh, big boy Emmanuel Rogers here uh, commits to the uh, Seminoles big kind of inside space eater uh, very raw prospect, but some some things to be excited about. Yeah, I, I think this is a really good prospect to, to get excited about. Um, man, he he just hasn't played much football. Last year, what was his first full year of football? Six six three seventeen. He's actually built a little bit like 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 an OT. Uh, right now, he's ready to as a as three star recruit. There was a big dust up on Twitter between Barton Simmons and Mike Farrell. Uh, both of, both of whom um, I'm, I'm friendly with, so not totally going to take sides there. With the exception, I'm, I'm probably going to side with Barton Simmons here on the rating because 247 went and bumped him up to a four star. The, the timing on that is is certainly you know, it appears suspect uh, when you bump a kid after he commits, but you're always evaluating guys, and, and I don't blame them necessarily for waiting to bump a kid, especially because uh, they were really focused on the opening, right? So they're they're kind of waiting to adjust here and, and do some other things, they're probably starting to look at other prospects post-opening. 
that uh, that, that need evaluations and, and, and bumps, and, and their attention was understandably on the opening. Look, you watch Manny Rogers play, a couple things pop out. Number one, quickness relative to body size, it's there. That's pretty impressive. He, he really does flash some ability. I also think, like, his polish for a kid who has not played that much ball mm-hmm. is uh, is kind of impressive. This is a, a good kid. And we talked a lot about, okay, Willie Taggart is raising the floor with his recruiting. And that's true. He is, right? But he also needs to raise the ceiling. And that is an area that I have I have kind of dinged him for some, and I think justifiably. I will, I will tell you this. Rodgers is a guy with a high ceiling. He is more of a project than some of the other guys who are sure things, but maybe they they lack that that superstar ability. If Rodgers plays to his full ability and you're able to develop him, he could be you know a, a top hundred NFL pick. Now that does not necessarily mean that he's going to be an early impact player. I can't rule it out, but the, the ceiling is there, so it's good to balance some of the ceiling and floor because I've been critical of the ceiling of some of the defensive line prospects that Florida State has brought in in Willie Taggart's first two classes. Uh, I, I think this is a really, really big get, and, uh, and good job, Odell Higgins, going out and, uh, and and sealing the deal on this one out of Jensen Beach. Yeah, raw player. You mentioned uh, last year's his first year uh, playing football. You can see that when he plays. He plays – you know, he's, he's got some of the simple things that he can work on. He plays a little high, uh, but – uh, you can you can see that he's a basketball player. He's got good feet. Uh, I think there's a lot to be excited about here. And you're right. Uh, give him give him Odell. Give him two years. Uh, give him uh, two years in the strength and conditioning program that we're about to talk about. And uh, hey, look, Florida State's about to lose some significant talent along the defensive line, interior in particular. Uh, and this isn't necessarily going to solve all those woes, uh, but this is a, a big piece and a, a nice, you know, a, a guy, depending on where you rank, uh, where you look, he's either a three or four star prospect, as you referenced, uh, but a, a really nice piece for uh, Odell to work with and kind of shape and mold in a, a guy that in two to three years could be a, a pretty impactful interior defense alignment for you. Absolutely. Uh, so next we have Arian Smith, a really good receiver. He was at Mulberry. He transferred to Lakeland, and he released a uh, top uh, top eight the other day. The good news is that Florida State made that top eight. Uh, he does have pre-existing relationships with Florida State. This is a really high-end player uh, and, and a really good guy in the state. The bad news is, if you recall, last year we talked about, uh-oh, uh, who was the defensive end who transferred um, from Auburndale to Lakeland? Uh, the kid whose dad was in the jersey for Florida and everybody kind of went nuts on the internet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know you're talking about. Oh, shoot. Lloyd. Lloyd Summerall. Yeah. So, we told you that when when Summerall transferred to Lakeland, that was bad news for Florida State. Lakeland is a very heavy Florida school, traditionally. and Last year, their top three kids went to Florida. Now, of course, they will let some kids go out of state, If and right now the state is being raided because None of the three in-state schools are, are recruiting at an elite level. Not that they're doing terribly, but just not not at that sort of like Clemson, Bama, Georgia, Ohio State uh, level right now. Uh, he's a big track kid as well. And Steve Wilfong put in the crystal ball to, uh, to Georgia the other day. Uh, I My crystal ball, I think I had the first one on this. Was, this was back in like April of 2018 because I was told Florida State was in a good spot for him. If I had to like re-put one in, I would probably just put it as neutral right now because I do not know where the kid's going to go. Obviously, Florida State, you know, their offensive line fell apart and 
that probably cost them two, three more losses than I thought they would have last year. And, and the program is, you know, kind of stagnant right now on the trail somewhat. Uh, so Arian Smith, I would say probably not in a great spot for him, but it's good that he, you know, he still made still made his top eight to some extent. There's no prize for second place, as you know. Need to get him <clears throat> to Saturday Night Live, and uh, I assume that, that he'll be there for that. But the transfer to Lakeland High School is not really good news for Florida State there on that front, which makes getting and keeping Ja'Kai Douglas uh, all the more important. Although I do project them as, as different types of players. I, I, I don't think that, you know, that Arian is, is – Arian, to me, could play outside, and Ja'Kai, I think, is more of a pure slot. Yeah, certainly different body types. Uh, Arian Smith listed loosely at uh, 6'1", 175, 180 or so. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of a different uh, potential prospect. Um, of, speaking of weights and dims there, why don't we move the conversation to uh, to some of the significant gains and losses that have been uh, posted recently about the uh, existing roster here. Um I guess we'll just kind of start with the offense, work our way around. Uh, not Certainly not going to detail every player on the roster, but just some of the guys that stand out to us and maybe some of the extrapolations that we can take from uh, either the gains that occurred or, or maybe failed to occur. Are you, so instead of the Noel cast, we're going to talk about the Swole cast? The Swole cast, yeah. The Swole cast or the, the, the Robert Cooper Slim cast. So I like that. All right, so uh, James Blackman. They, they have them listed at 195. Again, we are not like certifying these results. Okay. We, we, we are not, uh, we're not some accounting firm that does that. We are just reading these off the new media guide. So James Blackman, 195. I'm really happy with that if that's anywhere close to accurate. Yeah, I'm skeptical. I'm as skeptical that he's gained 14 pounds as as that we both were, that he only gained 16 ounces previously. Uh, but yeah, hey, look, if James Blackman has upped his walking around weight by eight or nine pounds, that's a that's a big deal. And uh, good for that kid. Put a lot of effort uh, by all accounts and uh, appears to finally have a little bit of traction as far as uh, putting some meaningful weight on his body. So I'm right there with you in that I don't know that uh... – that I believed last year's number, right? Remember that? We're like, wait, he only gained a pound, you know, like last year's we photos. very sardonically asked which, which was our favorite of his 16 <laughs> ounces gained. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, just looking at that, I'm like, okay. Uh, yeah. I, last year, the, the, the difference in the photos between last year and, and the prior year um, was more than a pound to, to me. And I think to you as well. So very happy about that. That's good. Um, Offensive line, a lot of numbers there. Like obviously, it's the worst position on the team by a mile. It's probably the worst offensive line in the ACC. Uh, Louisville may give them a run for their money on that. And by the way, I've actually been thinking about this <clears throat> as I've been digging into my research more and more. Georgia Tech could be in contention to have the worst offensive line in the ACC because they are moving from a true triple option system to more of a pro style, you know, spread regular offense. Uh, so Florida State could be the third worst offensive line in the ACC this year. It sounds like progress already, uh, perhaps. Uh, tech, tech's in a bad place. They're probably going to win three games this year. Uh, the, and that's the fear that whenever you run that system is that when ultimately you leave it, uh, you don't give many people a whole lot of meaningful pieces to really work with, particularly along 
the offensive line of scrimmage. So, yes, I was curious about about what you were thinking about that because I I ran the numbers the other day and I was like, man, I I can see him getting to four, but five seems a lot less likely than three. Yeah, yeah, five is a stretch. I I think if they win if they win four, if they win north of four. The thing about Georgia Tech right now is that they're they got to play Georgia and Clemson every year, and that's a that's a tough two guaranteed games to have on your schedule. Uh, and uh, Collins is attempting to kind of change the culture and use the you know his recruiting strength, uh, recruiting to the city of Atlanta as much as possible. Uh, but that's going to be a challenge, and uh, we'll see how they do. It's a program with uh, maybe a little bit more potential uh, than than some realize, but also some real restraints on it, uh, just based off academics, demographics, and other things that come in play when you recruit to Georgia Tech. We both know an SEC head coach, actually, uh, who is not at Georgia Tech, but obviously, like, very, told us, hey, I want to be at Georgia Tech. Right? Like, like, like he, Now, the timing didn't work out. He ended up taking a different job. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, a lot of coaches have thought Georgia Tech's a sleeping giant. I don't totally agree with them because I don't know that you're ever going to get that kind of commitment to – uh, to excellence there, Georgia is such a, I mean, such a dominant power relative to Tech in that state. It's also like Atlanta is very much a pro sports town relative to Tech, you know. Um, and I think some of the pro sports in that town that have made gains have made it a little bit harder to make, to make Georgia Tech stand out there. But clearly they should be a little bit better than they were under Paul Johnson. Um, we're not going to do a full Georgia Tech preview on this Nolcast because Florida State does not play Tech this year. We will do a full preview for uh, for each team on FSU's schedule, including Syracuse later on in this show. But uh, back to the offensive line chatter, we, we kind of got sidetracked. But I, I love that, man. It's the offseason. We should have fun, right? It is. It's an early morning in the offseason. We can we can, we can can stray from our uh, our play sheet every once in a while. Hey, no alert, no alert. Uh, Kepka is about to tee off here on one. <laughs> he's, going, he's, uh, he's, he's going iron. Was that five iron, you think? We'll see. I, don't know, we, we, I, I do love the British Open because it just gives me, like, it, the, the swings these guys have to take to keep the ball, like, out of the air. There's so many times they hit these swings, I'm like, oh, man, did he miss hit that or something? Um, kept going with the all-black look, or all-black all and dark gray. His uniform looks much better, and he, and he stripes it down the middle. Beautiful little little uh, little baby fade, and, uh, yeah, that'll be nice. Okay, so uh, number one name on the list here, Chaz Neal. Chaz Neal above 300 pounds, 305. From the video that I saw of the uh, the Lift for Life stuff and some of the photos that came out of there, I got to say, man, um, I'm hoping that Chaz Neal proves me wrong. He is one of the absolute worst players out of high school that Florida State has ever recruited, as long as I've been doing this. if they Now, granted, there's no better position to try to get on the field as a non-elite player then offensive tackle in Florida State's roster. If he can just be a bad player this year, like and not just totally horrible, he could have some chance to play. And like maybe if he could get to below average by a redshirt sophomore year, that'd be great for them. Yeah, he uh I mean there's some there's some encouraging numbers here and there's some that maybe you're a little bit uh discouraged by, but Neil uh, Peels to have had a, a, a nice little offseason. Uh, I don't really know what to make of a, a Bavion Johnson's uh, weight at 305. I, let me let me rephrase that. Uh, 
I'm I'm more concerned about the tape on Bavion at this point and how he performs rather than any kind of physical measures. Um, he's at a decent weight. He's had a decent off season as far as the restructure in his body from ultimately the the days of the grilled chicken dinners that we talked about when he was being recruited. Uh, but a, a guy that you just need to do whatever's necessary at this point for him to become a meaningful contributor to you. So he's another one I have circled here on my list that I don't believe last year's weight. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, 305, if you tell me baby on 305, awesome. I'm taking that all day. Do you really think he was 290-something last year? No. No way. No. Now, so that, that's, again, like, if we didn't totally believe last year's numbers, if we think they were cooking the books, and I do, do you believe this year's numbers? If I see it in person or if I see it on a video and it kind of jives, then sure. But if I don't, I have a hard time believing some of these but maybe on 305, I, I can believe that. That's fine. Um, I just, some of the last year's numbers seemed suspect for us at the time, and, and we said so at the time. Uh, Brady Scott, a 312, totally cool with that. Some that are a little bit concerning here uh, Mike Arnold, uh, 340. It's going to be hard to make a highlight tape at that weight, right? <laughs> I mean, you could do it potentially. Uh, uh, let me just say this, right? I think Arnold's going to start game one at guard. If you look at what they've done in the weight room, Mike Arnold 340, Dante Lucas dropping eight more pounds since arriving and looking like he's in pretty good shape. I don't know that Mike Arnold's doing a whole lot to hold him off, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, This is kind of like, man, if Mike Arnold got in great shape and and showed up at like three and a quarter or something and, and was moving better, but... He's already not very athletic. He, he struggles to get out of his stance, and, and he's, he's not quick. Does not really deliver a blow. He can lean on somebody sometimes. Man, I, Dante Lucas losing eight more is encouraging. I love Dante in kind of that 320 range. That's – hell, I'm sure they'd like him to be like 315 or 310, you know, so he can move really well. Yep. But uh, that's good. And then what uh, – I think he had Meadows is down eight. Yeah, Meadows is down eight. He appears to have had a good off season. He's done uh, done some real good work in the in the weight room, and a guy that you know in a much better place to potentially contribute at some point this year. And uh, uh, Goss listed at two seventy is a not not necessarily the number that you wanted to see next to his name. Let me ask you a question: If that two seventy is real at another school, at a Bama or a Georgia, is he processed out? Yeah, I think after this year, he's processed out at even a lot more schools than even even those two. Yeah, yeah. two seventy won't cut it, man. Uh, two seventy is indicative of you. Some something's not right there. Uh, you, I mean, that's not going to work. Yeah. You can't play tackle at two seventy in this league. There's there's too much NFL talent on the defensive lines in the ACC uh, to, to play at two seventy. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's getting late early. <laughs> For, for, for Jalen Goss, if that 270 number is right. I know he's only a redshirt freshman, but that's that's not acceptable. You can't be 270. Um, because the problem is it makes it real hard to believe he's going to be a major contributor for them next year. I mean, screw this year. If he's 270, this year's out at 270. Now, maybe that number's not right. It's possible. We saw last year they had some numbers that were pretty sketchy. Uh, one number that certainly appears to have some some photographic evidence to support it is that uh, one Robert Cooper is down uh, to three hundred and forty six pounds. I think he originally reported it 
396, somewhere in that area. So uh, I think last year he was listed at 378. So depending on where you want to look, he's lost as many as 50 pounds. Uh, fantastic to that kid. I mean, I honestly, I don't even need to see a picture of his body. You can just see a picture of his face and see that he's had a, a pretty significant, you know, restructuring of his uh, of his physical composition there. So uh, great for Cooper. That's, a, again, we talked about some of the pressing need in the defensive line, some of the younger prospects to uh, to start to emerge. And, and Cooper has gone a real long way in reshaping his body, putting himself in a place uh, to take a lot more snaps uh, than he did last year. And he, he even looked uh, pretty impressive in what you got out of him last year. So uh, I think probably the biggest hats off to anybody here is, is one Mr. Cooper who's done an awful lot to – put himself in a, in a place to get some real meaningful playing time and become a pretty significant contributor. Dropping 50 pounds, that is a, that is a big time, big time job by, by Coop. And, uh, and I think he'll be rewarded with playing time. Like you said, uh, Cedric Wood up 18. I just, I don't know if Cedric Wood's ever going to play due to all the injuries he suffered, man, like that show that we went in or that we went over about, you know, like, like Jimbo's last classes and, and you know, what, what was his fault, but also like, you know, some stuff that was not and some of the injury stuff, man, they, Whew, they had a lot of injuries. That, 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 not just injuries, but like injuries that impacted guys long term. You know, yeah, definitely some real, uh, really impacted the the trajectory of people's careers. Uh, completely agree with you there. Uh, Durden plus fifteen, Parks plus eleven. Um, again, I don't, you know, even if these numbers are eighty five percent true, uh, I think it's a nice move in the right direction. Uh, defensive line uh, overall, if you want to be optimistic about. Uh, aspects of the program i i I don't think we're pumping uh i don't think we're necessarily like blowing smoke to tell you that they've had a good off season in the weight room they've they've uh made some significant gains pun intended um and if have had a a, as successful of an off season as maybe they've had in the past uh, probably the past four years or so uh as when it comes to what's being done as far as uh, throwing some iron around so uh some some nice little numbers here uh, we'll move to, like we said, not going to profile every player on the roster, uh, but Emmett Rice's plus 12 number stuck out to me, if that's true. Uh, that's a kid that needed to put some weight on. Uh, again, another basically cut and paste the conversation that we just had about Wood uh, with a guy that had an early injury that could have really impacted the trajectory of his career. Uh, but if Rice is healthy and Rice has really put on some good weight and he can uh, maintain that weight, then that's a that's a much more intriguing prospect than you know. I, I like my like my linebackers uh, closer to two thirty than I do two oh eight, or or you know closer to two twenty five than I do two oh eight. So uh, Rice is a and maybe put himself in a place to get get some more snaps in a position where snaps are certainly open to be had. Exactly right. I, I like that a lot. Remember he was coming off the knee injury last year. Um, hey, by the way, on the defensive line. Uh, Malcolm Lamar dropping some weight, uh, at, at least based on photos, is a good sign as well. Uh, I mean, you, I think we talked about this when he was recruited. I think he might even be a better better fit for offensive tackle than, defense, than defensive tackle or defensive end. So we'll see about that. What was your other kind of fa- favorite one on defense? Uh, Leonard Warner uh, stood out to me at plus nine, but uh, the one that really – if. Uh, if it's a true number, if Lars Woodby's really put on eight pounds, I think that's a, I think that's a big a big ad for him. Uh, that gives him a chance to, you know, a guy that you could tell there was a lot of talent there. A guy who uh, I think some of the analytics of tackling had him uh, 
at one of the better tacklers in college football, but a, a guy who was obviously adjusting to playing closer to the line of scrimmage than maybe he anticipated or or had experience with. So if that's a legitimate number, uh, I think that's a big deal. And but I want to go ahead and you know kind of a assuage any concerns that you have that uh, that Decalon Brooks might have grown out of the position of linebacker and report that he appears to have lost two pounds. So uh, don't worry about that. Okay, that's uh, I, I was pretty worried worried about that. Um, okay, so it, it look the videos that the team's been posting in the offseason are good. Are they like much better than any other program out there? I have my doubts, but uh, I, I think overall this is this is fine. Um, I like Meadows uh, uh, having like one of the highest squat or I think the highest squat for the or not was it Meadows or yeah. uh, or Armstrong to have the highest squat. Uh, I think it was Meadows. Yeah, we we might be falsely attributing that, but uh, uh, one of those two had had a pretty impressive video attached to some effort they'd have been putting in the squat rack. For sure, for sure. One other thing, I I would have liked to have probably seen Hamza Nasraldine gain more than a pound if that's if that's an accurate number. Uh, If that's a guy that's moving to linebacker, and we've talked some in the past that. Yeah, you know, he had a lot of responsibilities were similar to that of a linebacker previously. But if he's really uh, moving closer to the line of scrimmage, I would have liked to have seen him with more a uh, seven, eight, or a nine attached to his name rather than a plus one. Gotcha. Okay, um, I totally agree with you on that. All right. Also, want to pause to thank Resolution Home Loans. No buy or sell today because we, we are doing a preview episode. What? Very excited to announce that Resolution Home Loans has partnered with us for the next year as well. So very, very, very cool there on that front. Got the call from Shannon yesterday and was really excited. And obviously with so many happy Nolcast listeners and one Nolcast producer who have gone through Resolution Home Loans to get their loan. Look, you can't beat it. Call them up. Talk to Shannon, 844-FSU-LOAN or visit FSUHomeLoans.com. You'll be really happy that you did. It's there's just no reason not to, right? Give, give them a shout. And even if you're not quite ready to buy your home, start the process, right? Talk to Shannon and be like, hey, what, what can we actually get? How much money can I get? Because then you got to set your Zillow filters, you know, and, and, and you got to get those pings and those million emails a day and all thanks to Resolution Home Loans. You want to talk a little, uh, let's talk a little opponent preview. Orange or blue of Syracuse, let's do. All right, uh, so... Um, Syracuse. Syracuse last year was a uh, sort of. I, I, you ever heard the term signature significance? Mm, I'm not sure I am familiar with that. No, I don't know who came up with this, but but I've heard it. I like it a lot. Um, so sorry for the lack of attribution there. Basically, signature significance is a thing where you may not have a big sample set, but but an event happens that is so significant that all of a sudden you need to kind of regard the new thing that happened as true. Right, uh, and Syracuse last year was was that game for Florida State. They had a guy score zero on the PFF numbers, and even if you don't think that's totally accurate, if you score a zero, you're probably not doing that well. Blocking somebody, uh, you, you ended up the score ended up being even worse than the game was. To be honest, the defense played pretty valiantly for most of the game, and then it, it kind of you know got beat late. The offense just did nothing. The entire game, you had issues uh, in the special teams, too. Of course, you almost got a punt blocked and uh, uh, ended up like declining a penalty uh, because you, you didn't want to run your punt team out there again and potentially get that blocked. It was a complete uh, complete show. And uh, 
Um, and one, look, we started saying, hey, they need to uh, they need to make sure that they are um, um, like changing up their recruiting targets a little bit because this season, like they really might miss a bowl. And that was a tough show to do right after that. But that's kind of what they had going. So Syracuse this year, um, they come to Tallahassee. The game is October 26th. For, uh, for, for Syracuse, they actually get this game off a of bye. So they, they get their short bye before the Thursday night game, October 10th at NC State. Then they host Pitt. Then they get a, a full bye uh, heading to Tallahassee. I'll tell you some good news, though. I, I do not think the Syracuse team is going to be better than last year's Syracuse, or than last year's Syracuse team, right? Um, I'll just go position by position here a little bit. Now, the I think the over-under in Vegas is like seven, seven and a half wins for them. So it's about the same as Florida State's. Uh, Syracuse's schedule is you know, a good bit easier than Florida State's. They don't play, they don't play Boise. They don't play Florida. Um, their non-conference is Liberty, Maryland, Western Michigan, and Holy Cross. So there's a reason that their their win total number is about the same as Florida State. Florida State, by most of the metrics here, is a projected favorite in this game. I know that can be kind of tough for people to swallow. Uh, ESPN gives FSU an 80% chance to win, and Bill Connolly, who is actually now also ESPN, gives FSU about a 70% shot. Uh, to win. So Eric Dungy, their quarterback last year, often hurt, but when he was healthy, he played really well. He didn't get to play uh, much in the Florida State game because he got hurt early, and that game certainly could have been worse if he had played more. But but he played very well last year when he was healthy. Um, but their backup, is, is Tommy DeVito, is not too bad. One of the more talented guys that Syracuse recruited at the position, I remember him coming through the, through the Elite 11 circuit, uh, his parents actually watched my uh, watched my stuff to make sure it did not wander off. Uh, so shout out to Tommy's dad and mom on the old cast. I, I kind of doubt they're listening, but uh, really good passer. One of the main questions I have with the switch from Dungey to Devito is that Dungey was an excellent runner, and he would he would scramble around, he would he would throw on the run, but he would also pick up some first downs with his legs. Not that Devito is not a good athlete, but he is not the same caliber of athlete, in my opinion, that Dungy was. And so this offense is going to be a little more traditional uh, in that it, the quarterback's going to be throwing the ball a little more and not running it quite as much. This is interesting to me because they were already not that good at running the ball last year, despite the fact they do have pretty good running backs. If you take out Dungy's legs from this, what does this offense look like? I'm a little bit skeptical that it's going to be quite as good as it was last year. I like running back Moniel a lot. I think their receivers are still going to be very good. Some of the best receivers in the league. They really catch the ball well, too. They're, I think they had the lowest drop rate in the league and one of the best drop rates in the nation. Uh, at offensive line, they do lose a little bit. We'll see how they look there. Uh, they landed uh, offensive tackle transfer Ryan Alexander out of South, South Alabama, and they had a transfer as well. And Darius Tisdale, uh, but that, I think they'll probably take a little bit of a step back there at offensive line. I, I don't think it'll be a lot better. Um, so overall, I would project some regression on offense because they do lose Dungy. They have less quarterback depth now, and and I have some concerns about the run game. Yeah, I think you're right to do that. Uh, one of the not that I'm a claim to be a Syracuse expert by any means, but I know that there's a a lot of talk that they're going to try to install a little bit more of a, a screen game to take advantage of uh, Neil and Adams, uh, and maybe take a little bit of pressure off of uh, 
off the quarterback uh, and and try to use some of the talent that they have and also uh, maybe protect a, an offensive line that loses uh, both of their tackles and and a, and a guard as well. So. No doubt. Um, so defensively, it's going to be an interesting game as well. Um, Syracuse, I think, is kind of going to be a little bit of a front-running team this year in that like, their defense is very much built to play with the lead. Th- their pass rushers are still as good as anybody's in the conference, right? Like including what Clemson has and, w- and what Miami has. As we saw last year, that's one thing I, I got wrong last year about Syracuse before before FSU played that game. I did not know that Syracuse's ends were going to be that good. Lot, honestly, because they played so bad against Western Michigan. Remember, they gave up like 600-something yards against Western yep. um, like a couple weeks prior. They really have some NFL guys there at defensive end. That's going to be something to watch for sure. Now, they do lose a little bit at the tackle position. I think it's going to make them a little more vulnerable to the run. They also have they're, – they're pretty green at linebacker compared to what they had last year. So you're going to have really good pass rushers still. How are your, back, how are your backers and, and tackles going to be at stopping the run? This could be an area, if Florida State uh, is, is decent on the, on, the, on the offensive interior, this could be an area in which, uh, in which Florida State – might have a little bit of an advantage in this game. Certainly, they're going to have a huge disadvantage with with their tackles against Syracuse's ends, but a lot of teams are going to struggle with with that. Florida State will probably just struggle more on the edge with that. Uh, And then defensively as well, they have really good, really good defensive backs. So like I said, this team is very much built to play against the pass. They're they're built to play with the lead. Remember those old Indianapolis Colts defenses when when Peyton was there Mm -hmm. and like 90% of, of Indy's salary cap was on the offense and like their their defense was really good with the lead, but not really good if they had to, um, you know, stop the run and get the ball back and stuff like that. It kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Dwight Freeney's maybe not necessarily defensive end you want those having to having to give respect to the run, but uh, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Robinson and Coleman are the two uh, edge rushers that you referenced, uh, and then the the kid that really stands out when you look at their secondary is uh, Andre Cisco, who I think led the might have led the country in interceptions last year. If he didn't lead the country, he's right there, uh, maybe one or two. So a lot of talented guys, uh, Chris Frederick and Evan Foster, are two names that uh, played a good bit last year and returned as starters. Uh, they're a, they're they're pretty solid up front and, and in the back, and you're right, they're going to have to fill in a little bit at linebacker. But uh, a lot of a lot of the bones exist uh, to to have a pretty successful defense again. Very good player. For, uh, it was actually at IMG, and, and Syracuse plucked him out of there. I, I like him a whole lot. Also, their specialists are good, right? They, they kick the ball well. They punt the ball very well. It's kind of one of the hidden reasons why Syracuse was able to outplay uh, it, it, its, its kind of peripherals last year. The other reason is that they had incredible turnover luck, right? Like There's a couple teams on Florida State's schedule last year that had really good turnover luck. If you're new to the show – we know that there's a large luck component in turnovers. We don't claim that turnovers are solely luck, but they're certainly more luck-based than almost anything else in the game of football. It's just how, how the ball is shaped and, and due to the, the you know, smaller number of opportunities to, to recover fumbles and things like that. Uh, just There's not, not that many events, so you do get, get a pretty good amount of variance sometimes. Uh, you know, a lot of large numbers and small numbers. 
Yeah, really. I didn't. Yeah, to be honest with you, I didn't realize how good their their special teams were until I, I read about them uh, late last night. Uh, I guess I remembered that their kicker ended up winning the Groza Award last year. It was All American, and their punter was, uh, I think, either first or second team All ACC. So two guys that uh, return that are. Hey, look, that's, that's how you win a lot of close games, and uh, Syracuse has a, a lot to be able to fall back on at both the punter and the place kicker position. Yeah, they, they really do. Uh, just looking at last year, their uh, their field position numbers, which special teams play into a pretty good bit. Uh, yeah, their net punting average led the conference last year. Uh, a lot of good things about their special teams to like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, their their offense actually inherited the second best field position in the nation. They started at their own thirty five on average, which is incredible. Uh, that's I mean that's probably a first down and a half over what Florida State's was, and uh, you, you add that up over, over the course of a game with you know, thirteen fourteen drives. And Syracuse plays at, at, at a pace, so they're going to be maybe in fifteen drives in some games, and that really yeah, that's that's a huge advantage. And in twenty first. On, on defense. So again, uh, very good. Their uh, their turnover luck per game was almost three points per game, which is uh, which is very good. <clears throat> Excuse me. They were they were <clears throat> by neutral numbers. They should have been about plus five and a half turnovers, uh, and they were plus thirteen. So maybe not uh, maybe not completely skill based there. Maybe a little luck based. And this is a game that I certainly think Florida State has a better shot to win this year than it did last year. It's not not a gimme. Um, but uh, but a game that I think Florida State will likely be more competitive in. Um, most of it's going to depend on can you stay ahead of the change? Because I, I, I still think if Florida State gets in long down and distance against the Syracuse team, right? If you get into those passing downs at, at second and eight, at third and six or more, then you're probably screwed. Because I, I don't think Florida State's tackles can, can block Syracuse's ends, and you know, they're they're very good. So. That's kind of my my rundown on Syracuse from a betting perspective. Uh, I would not go over on their win total. I would consider under if you got a good number on it. But uh, um, I think if you if you find teams that have bad run defenses, Syracuse might be a, a pretty solid team to be on from a wagering perspective. Simply because they'll be able to run the ball a little more. Their play action game should be more effective, and, and they won't have to be quite so one dimensional. Uh, on, on offense, but they, they could be a bit of a, snow, a snowball team, right? Really good with the lead and extend that lead, but from behind um, may not be able to get enough stops on defense. I'm, I'm going to be watching their run defense very early in the year, although they, they got a pretty cushy start to the season. I mean, Liberty, Maryland, Clemson, Western Michigan, Holy Cross, they they should be 4-1 four, four and one to start the year. Certainly be the, the expectation. Uh, Clemson, they've played – Two consecutive years, uh, very close games, uh, one one loss one. I don't know that anybody expects them to uh, necessarily go and get a victory there, but it, it does seem to be two programs that, for every reason, uh, play exceptionally competitive games right now. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I think that kind of wraps us up for today. How long do we go? Forty four minutes. That's that's fine for an off season pod. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Uh, want to thank all of our sponsors. Want to thank you, the listener. Uh, fantastic feedback recently, uh, and we'll have a much more, uh, not necessarily an email-focused uh, podcast, uh, but we've got a lot of great questions that we will uh, get to and uh, appreciate all of you who have uh, sent in questions, observations, or personal experiences with the boosters, uh, which we've gotten a lot of recently. So uh, thank you, as always, uh, for the listen and the support, and uh, we'll look forward to speaking with you maybe a little bit earlier next week.